Well, hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Wrestling's Week That Was. I am Joel the Man O'Brien, co-editor of ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com, coming to you like I always do from the land down under Sydney, Australia. And joining us, as he does every single Saturday afternoon, is my friend and other co-editor uh, for PWP, Aaron Ram- Ramadanov. And Aaron, what's going on, and did you have a good week? Yeah, pretty decent week, you know, uh, same old, same old. Yeah, um, but well, of course, one of the biggest things uh, coming out of the week is that we're on the road to Survivor Series. Within 24 hours, Survivor Series will be coming to us live uh, on um, on the WWE Network for free. Uh, but obviously, we'll be getting into that later on. Uh, well, we're going to be here for, for, with you for the next hour, hour and a half, talking all the major news, shows, and matches coming out of the week that was exclusively on Pro Wrestling Powerhouse Radio. We have an absolute ton to cover today. So many news uh, topics coming up in the last few days. Uh, so much so, I have no idea how we're going to fit it into the show. But uh, me and Aaron are going to try our dandest to get it all done. Survivor Series is a little over 24 hours away, and we're going to have going to going to be here to give us give you uh, our final thoughts on what to expect come Sunday. Uh, Tina, Tina has officially found a new home come 2015. Where that where is that going to be? We're going to give you all the details and and uh, give, give you a little bit of a sneak preview of maybe what to expect come 2015 for TNA. Uh, of course, we'll be talking Raw, main event, NXT, SmackDown, Impact Wrestling, and so much more. But before we delve into this week's topics, remember we are currently on iTunes and Stitcher as we speak. So if you're looking for a practical way to help this show and stay in touch with what the PWP Radio Network uh, offers. Uh, download the podcast app on your smartphone and subscribe to PWP Radio Network. That's the that's what you put into the search bar to find us. Uh, it only takes one click to stay in touch with all the great weekly audio content that we and others provide, and it helps us out immensely. Um, just a bit of uh, uh, PWP Radio site admin for, for future reference. I did have my first Diamond Dallas Page interview on uh, Thursday morning, and uh, that has been recorded. It was a fantastic interview, and that's to be looked forward to for next week. We're going to be doing that next week, Wednesday uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern. So uh, now's a better time than ever to sign up to uh, uh, PWP Radio Network on uh, iTunes and and stay in touch and, and get that download put straight into your inbox when it's ready to go. Um, now, Aaron, We've got a few articles that have been uh, published during the week on, on ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com. Um, for those who haven't read read the or ca- caught up on the articles yet, what, what should we expect? we got a bunch of stuff up there. I mean, from a, a variety of people, you've got Tim Bell, one of our newest writers. He, uh, he ranked the top 25 managers of all time in WWE history. Really good read there. Um, of mm-hmm. course, I've, I've got a couple of stuff up there as well. Um, I, I recently posted uh, why Seth Rollins has become WWE's top heel. And uh, that, that's up there right now as well. And I have uh, Will TNA's stench of failure ever expire, kind of talking about, you know, the stigma attached to TNA's product and their and their name in general and if they can ever shake that. Um, hopefully they can with the, the, the new uh, TV deal with Destination America. A bunch of great stuff. Some great stuff coming up for Survivor Series as well. Uh, we have a bunch of articles on Survivor Series. Darren Browning has two up right now with uh, Randy Orton being Mr. Survivor Series, and uh, he ranked the top five Survivor Series matches or, or uh, shows of all time, excuse me. And, of course, we have our um, Fab Five uh, PWP Survivor Series predictions with you, me, 
Zach Fellows, Crazy Bill, uh, Shannon, and of course Dan Marin, uh, as we do every month. Tons of content, and this is only in one week of the actual site itself. So you can only imagine what it's like every like er, like in one month how many how, how much content we actually get out there. So so much to check out there. Um, of course, uh, the PWP writing team has a competition that we have that we've been hosting all year. We, uh, I think, I think me, you, and Crazy Bill are uh, tied for third, and Zach Fellows are tied for third. Sorry, first. Well, no, I think it's, um, I think it's Zach is still in first place. I think you and Bill are tied for second. I'm in third, and Dan Marin, unfortunately, is way behind in fourth. So, or in fifth. So, I mean, it's it, it, yeah. tough race. Still a lot of pay-per-views to go until WrestleMania 31. So, uh, it's an open race. Well, see, that's the thing, like, you know, like when you're coming first all the time, it's kind of hard to remember who's coming third. So that's why I got a little bit confused. But uh, yeah, a really great read up there on, P- on PWP.com. So do check it out. Let's get straight into the top news of the week. That being, of course, Survivor Series is 24 hours away. Um, what, Aaron, straight off the bat, what did you think? Has this been a good, bad, or has it been a bit of an average pay-per-view build? Because so, I'm, 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 I'm a bit indifferent at the moment. I'm going to go with an average pay-per-view build. I think they've built one match in particular, and that's, of course, the 5-on-5 Survivor Series traditional match there. Um, Other than that, you don't really know what's on the card unless you go look for it. You know, of course, Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose are on the card, but they've kind of taken, you know, an undertaking to to the the 5-on-5 match. So as far as the build for the entire pay-per-view, it's been a little poor. I mean, the entire undercard, which is um, about four matches, haven't really had a storyline. It was kind of just thrown together last, not last minute, but it was kind of just thrown together. There's real no, there's real no storyline for any of those matches. So it's a little tough to say how the build has been for this pay-per-view in general, but I feel like the the build for the five-on-five match, the, the main event has been pretty good, and I'm, I'm interested to see uh, who wins uh, at Survivor Series. Yeah, I mean, when you throw in a stipulation where someone's faction or someone's going to be removed from television or it's going to end, I mean, that's a, just a natural selling point in itself. And and for that reason, I mean, like, I am very curious to see what they're going to do. There's 10 guys involved, so there's m- multiple avenues in which they can get there. So that's always interesting for me. But when it comes to this build, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm getting a bit tired of WWE just putting all their eggs in one basket for one match. I know that there's 10 guys in the match, like I said, but I mean, uh, th- there should be uh, even emphasis on the rest of the card because uh, for many years, like, uh, like Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt has had their time. And, and again, it's been a little bit of hit and miss. Uh, uh, Dean Ambrose uh, promo on SmackDown this week kind of like brought everything back around full circle for me and kind of got me excited for the match. And that's just a testament to uh, Dean Ambrose himself. But uh, I don't know. I, like, I'm sick of WWE just putting all their eggs in one basket. I think that there should be a, an emphasis on the rest of the card because, really, you know, these up and comers are still going to be in your main. Are they going to be in your main event eventually? So I, I don't know. I mean, I think you know, like you said, eventually there's going to be a point where Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt are in the main event. And you've got to pay attention to everything, you know, and that's kind of a big criticism of WWE the last couple of years is that they've kind of really just focused on their main event, you know, their match, and they just try to sell that one match, and then they kind of just trickle in the rest of the card as they go. Mm. I would like to see them kind of concentrate more on the entire card. I mean, you know, a perfect example for me is 
the the Divas elimination match that was kind of just thrown together this week for for no reason. I just it doesn't really make sense. Uh, you know, even the Fatal Four Way uh, tag team match kind of was thrown together. You know, I mean that's kind of been building for about a month or so, but it's kind of just <laughs> just thrown together, especially with the. We'll talk about later on in the SmackDown review, but I just hate the generic kind of built with this fatal four-way tag team match. Yeah. Oh, like, it's so, like, don't get me started on the whole tag team elimination. Uh, the, t- the tag team fail four-way match, as well as the Divas matches. I think that's proof enough that WWE just thinks, oh, everyone's going to come to see the main event. We can do whatever we want to do in the, in the rest of the card. And that's just complete, Ass backwards, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, one thing that with this main event there's like there's ten guys, as I've said, but like the story is really all about the authority and like these guys like Rusev and and Ziggler and and show they're just pawns, really. Like you could have you could pretty much have whoever you really really wanted to, and spent the I spent the month and a bit like building them up, and like like it, it kind of feels like there doesn't feel like there's any like like game changer member of each team. Like, like sure. Like Seth Rollins is a great example. I think Seth Rollins is kind of just blended in the background through this feud. I mean, like obviously the emphasis is on the authority and it should be, but it, for matches like this, it shouldn't feel much more important because the members are joining this team and they should be up at a, at a certain level already, but it just kind of feels like they're just all at the same kind of level. I don't know. That's just, that's just my kind of opinion, but uh, destination America. Now, I have no idea what that that's I didn't even know it was a station. I didn't even know that, that it broadcast television content. But apparently this place is the uh, new home for TNA come 2015. I is the future bright or bleak for TNA come to 2015, Aaron? <laughs> well here's the thing. Like I posted the, the news um on Facebook, a bunch of different groups and stuff, and I, I kind of laid out as far as you know, what's the good and bad for, for this this deal is. The good is they don't have to worry about Spike TV being up their butt and, and kind of trying to – because one of the biggest deal breakers for TNA was Spike TV wanted more control over their content, and they wanted TNA to take a pay cut. So I think TNA moving to a different network will kind of – it'll be a fresh start, a clean, you know, clean slate – you know, Destination America, I doubt, wants anything to do with the, the control of TNA and, and what the storylines are going to be produced and all that stuff. And I'm assuming TNA probably got a pretty solid deal going to a lesser network. Um, for Discovery, uh, for, for Destination America is part of the Discovery uh, banner. It's part of their, you know, it's part of the Discovery channel. Um, <laughs> so I don't know as far as, you know, no one really knows what this channel is. I have it. I'm lucky enough to have it. I don't. I didn't even know I had it until I went and looked for it. Um, so I'm interested to see the, what the fresh start for TNA is. Apparently, the word is that they're going to be doing everything new. They're going to have new titles, new logo, new ring, new every like completely just the slate clean and start fresh. I think that's a really smart idea. I hope. I, I'm. I'm. I'm hoping that TNA can turn around and start new and, and do something good with their new product in 2015. I'm really hoping. I mean, when it comes to content, TNA has been one of the more, more consistent uh, uh, pro wrestling television shows out there every week. I mean, I, I think our last two or three shows, we've, we've 
we've praised it, and 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 there's been a reason for that. The content's been good. The uh, the, the characters have been good. Their their talent is good. I have no doubt that the fresh start that you just talked about in 2015 is going to be good. My main problem that I have is that uh, who's going to see it? Like me and you are hardcore wrestling fans. You uh, you had to search hard to find. What what destination America had? What like what, what like are they a part of Discovery? You had to like find that out. The fact is that like who's going to go out of their way to try and find TNA? Like like Spike TV is very easily accessible. I've I've been to the states. I know how easy it is to find them on on your on your television changer. But like who's going to be able to find it? And and furthermore, like. The people like like there's already a downsize on the uh, attendance live for these events. Mm-hmm. Now that you have uh, TNA on a network where a lot of people know that that it's hard to find, I think that the allure of going to these events is getting getting yourself on television. Now that's become much more apparent as we've got gone on in the years because the crowds used to come there for the for the pure wrestling content now a lot of fans go to monday night raw just to kind of flash their sign and wave at the camera what what, what when with audiences not being able to find the television show what what's the what was the allure in that well i think the only positive that i can see from you know downsizing your network pretty much because on average tna would draw about a million uh, viewers a week, or maybe even less, maybe 900,000. Um, so, you know, I, I heard something, some number, I forget where I heard it, but I think Destination America's viewership is three times less than Spike TV's, which is a big chunk, big chunk. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. I think TNA will be lucky to get 500,000 a week watching their product because one of the, you know, the channel's not very available for everybody. And two, I think people that don't have the channel will just, find it online i mean you know there's a bunch of wrestling websites that stream this this uh this show after the fact so i think that's obviously something that is going to hurt them in the long run as far as um you know trying to create this brand on a new network um Mm. but you know i i just hope that they can i mean more wrestling is is better for everybody it's better for talent it's better for fans it's better for everybody so i hope tna wrestling can um can you know, make this something of their own. I I certainly hope so too. I I'm a big fan of them. I, I like being I've been liking what they're doing. But I'll throw out another statistic that I have that I heard about when when, when it was announced that they were moving somewhere else to Destination America. A, stat, a statistic went out that ROH ROH Ring of Honor's viewership on the Sinclair Network will be bigger by seventeen percent. To that of TNA on Destination America, they'll have a bigger uh, a viewership than apparently the quote unquote second largest uh, promotion in North America. It's again, it's all about easy uh, accessibility. I mean, they should be just doing the damnedest to try and plug that this new home and where it's going to be, time slots. Uh, the promotion needs to be heavy for uh, for TNA to to make an indent like they like like they should have had done like a while back but i guess we'll have to just wait and see what happens with it you know as, as usual with all these kind of things in pro wrestling but uh in other news now sheamus poor old sheamus he uh he's he's injured again 
I'm, I'm, I don't know if this injury, injury occurred on Monday Night Raw. I mean, when I first heard about it, I heard it was like part of a storyline, but apparently he's out and he's going to be out for a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it first started with the storyline. Everyone thought that was just a storyline injury, and now it appears that he has been having a lingering in- injury that needs surgery. Um, he posted a picture on his social media account that, you know, uh, he was prepping for surgery and he was getting ready to go in. Now, the injuries. You know, no one really knows what the injury is. It hasn't been disclosed. WWE hasn't made an announcement. So, um, you know, it might be just a quick fix. It might be a quick injury, and he's back in a couple weeks. But um, this apparently is something to write him off TV for a little while. Um, I originally thought maybe, and, you know, this is kind of my – I'm going to put my fantasy booking hat on. Uh, Mm I I thought originally when he was taken out that maybe he would have something to do with the the main event of Survivor Series, maybe – siding with Team Authority, but that obviously is not the case, and of course he'll be uh, apparently out for several weeks. Maybe longer. Several, okay, several weeks. I was thinking it was going to be much longer than that. I mean, that that's good. Uh, hopefully not too long. Again, WWE loses another portion of their talent due to injury, because, oh, man, it's been a bad year for WWE in regards to, like, key injuries. So, Seamus, maybe he's not so much a key injury, but, like, he's yet another baby face that WWE's lost. And I guess, like, with with, uh, with injuries and angles like this, with, with what's happened to Seamus, you can kind of understand why they're pushing guys like Ryback and rushing them to the main event, because company needs baby faces, and they just don't really have enough there. So, obviously, a speedy recovery is hopeful for Sheamus, and hopefully a little bit of a repackaging of Sheamus. I think Sheamus is... Mm-hmm. He's dwindling. He's, he's becoming stale a bit. And I, and I, I, but it's a shame because, like, the guy can talk, and the guy can wrestle. And I think... Maybe they don't even need Sheamus as a baby face. I think he, he is a heel. It was, it was always what worked for me, um, being that bully Irishman kind of character. I mean... I think that we now that he's kind of matured as a as a as a performer, I think it'd be a good progression for him to go back to being a heel. But I guess they just don't need need that many heels at the moment. Yeah, that's obviously the case, and I, I think that he's he's just somebody that they can trust as a babyface. And he's one it was something that people don't know is that Sheamus is actually one of their top merchandise sellers. I remember looking at a list about a month ago of WWE's top ten uh, live events merchandise sellers and Seamus was in the top 10. So that's something that, you know, people don't really know about, but Seamus is a a pretty big draw overseas. He's a, you know, he sells merchandise. He's a, he's a good fan favorite. And I think some of Seamus's best work besides his work, when he first came up with John Cena, he was still a little rough and green. I think some of his best work was when he was a baby face on SmackDown in 2012 with the guys like Del Rio and the big show and, and kind of honing his craft as a baby face and being world champion. I thought like he was, he produced some of his greatest stuff during that time period. Now, a lot of people just have kind of gotten a little sick of Sheamus and the same old stuff. A lot of people compare him to John Cena as far as his, when he tried to be funny, it, it just doesn't work. Um, so I agree with you. I think he needs to be a heel. I think that's where he's best uh, when he's, when he's a heel. I will give you the. I'll give you that that his in ring work was top notch in 2012 as world champion on SmackDown. His matches against Del Rio were awesome. His match against Daniel Bryan, two out of three falls at uh, at uh, 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 what was it? No, it was Extreme Rules at, at in 2012 was an awesome match. Character wise, again, he, they, they kind of just painted him with a John Cena kind of like character model and I just didn't really fit 
I think he was like doing like a lot of like Irish rhymes and stuff like that. Or it was yeah. just I, for me, it didn't really work for me as a babyface. But uh, I think his strongest uh, characteristics is, is, is as tough as Irishman kind of heel. But we'll see what happens with Sheamus. Hopefully, he gets he comes back as soon as he can. Now, Brock Lesnar. Uh, obviously, there's a rumor circulating in the last week that uh, Brock Lesnar may not come back to WWE, or at least for the, the long term. Well, as of right now, his contract apparently is set re- for re- uh, renegotiations coming Royal Rumble time, um, and that his contract officially expires in April. Um, so it's two different things. A lot of people think his contract ends in, at Royal Rumble. That's not the case. His contract is up for renegotiation in, in, at the Royal Rumble. And his uh, contract is officially up uh, right after, I think, April something, April 30th or something along those lines. Um, I think with Brock, it's something where you have to understand that this guy's a competitor. This guy's a beast. This guy is a former UFC champion. You know, this guy wants to compete. So I kind of understand his, his wanting to go back to UFC. That makes sense to me as far as wanting to be a competitor and a fighter and, and win and, and be a guy that's actually a real fighter instead of, you know, a WWE kind of, uh, you know, if you go on the UFC, you know, websites or, or fans, you talk to them, everyone kind of bashes Lesnar now for going to play the quote-unquote fake sport of wrestling. So I can understand his, his mm-hmm. wanting to go back to UFC. Um, I, I think there's, you know, and it's, it's tough with Lesnar because they put so much money and effort into him and, and, and invested a bunch in, in Brock Lesnar. I don't think that that's lost if he leaves. I think you can easily, like we've talked about before, you can easily transfer that legitimacy to somebody else. Whoever beats Lesnar is going to be a legit and an instant mega megastar, whether it's Reigns, Ambrose, whoever it is. Um, so I think... Either way, I'm okay with Lesnar leaving. If he leaves and wants to go to UFC, good for him. Just finish your contract. I, I talked about this in my podcast last week that, you know, the, one of the biggest problems with the CM Punk thing is that he if, he broke his contract. If Lesnar can just finish his contract, I'll be completely okay with him leaving if he wants to do that. Um, I think it's... We're on a stage in, in WWE right now, especially going into 2015, where the whole uh, fantasy booking of, of, of the younger up-and-comer guy defeating Brock Lesnar might be a little bit of a fantasy world, but considering the state of WWE right now. I mean, there's there's a lack of baby faces and the fact that Brock Lesnar is the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. If his plan is to get to, to end his contract in April, then I'm kind of like, well, like what with the uh, JR uh, segment that we, we talked about last week, I'm kind of leaning towards them trying to get the championship off him as soon as possible, which means I think we're going to have another John Cena championship reign and then have the young up and comer beat um, John Cena. Like, I, I don't agree with that. That's the most exciting way to do it, but I think WWE just needs to, Get all their uh, facilities and facilities in order, and, uh, and and get the championship championship on someone that's uh, that's a, a marquee guy. If Brock Lesnar wants to leave, sure, let him. Like you know, I, I totally agree that he should leave. This, but uh, one thing is for sure: this Brock Lesnar experiment has kind of blown up in WWE's face. I mean, I've I've been so disappointed with the lack of emphasis on Brock Lesnar as WWE champion. 
Like the fact that he's off television doesn't mean that we shouldn't be talking about his his, his reign. Uh, what's he doing? I have no idea what Brock Lesnar's doing on his time off. Having Paul Heyman uh, come up here and there and just be like, "I'm the advocate for the champion," and do like you know p- uh, pregame shows for pay per views, it's not enough for me. Like I want to see vignettes. I want to see him. Why don't Why not take a camera crew out to his farm and where he lives, and, and take and take uh, you know video footage of him like you know chopping up wood and wearing the champion. I don't know. Do something like that, that kind of makes me rem- remind me that, oh my God, this beast is our champion. You know, like I, I, that's one thing that's just kind of failed me for Brock Lesnar. For that reason, it's kind of like, well, if he wants to leave, leave. Because right, right now, the Brock Lesnar experiment has kind of failed to me. I wouldn't say failed. I think I think the last couple of months have been, have been misguided and, and it, it, a lot of it is and I think that's a great idea you pose that, you know, have, have them blow out a camera crew, have him just kind of, you know, film him just sitting in his backyard with a bunch of acres with the title on his shoulder, you know, with his feet up, just make him look yeah. like a, a champion, you know, and, and do yeah. some stuff like that. Be a little more creative with, with him being off TV, be a little more creative. Um, yeah. But I don't know if it's a failure, uh, his run in, in general. I think they've, they've built him up as a monster. I think whoever beats him, will become a megastar. I, I really do. I think whoever beats him, and I think, and you brought up the Cena thing, which is really interesting. If Cena does, and a lot of people are against Cena beating Lesnar at Royal Rumble. Now, I'm going to say, let's say, let's say Cena does beat Lesnar at Rumble. He becomes a 16-time world champion. He beats the one behind the one in 21-1. and one. That was a mouthful. Um, <laughs> whoever beats Cena for the title will have beaten a 16-time world champion, tied for the most all-time, would have beaten the person that beat Brock Lesnar and would have beaten the person that beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. So all that all that um, legitimacy gets transferred to the person that beats John Cena. So that's why I think it's not that bad of an idea if Cena does beat Lesnar at Royal Rumble and you have him go over and have him face Reigns or whoever, whoever they have Cena face at WrestleMania. There's a lot of different things you can do with Lesnar, and I think that the value he still holds is very high as far as being able to transfer that legitimacy to somebody else. Yeah. Uh, there's many ways you can skin this cat and, uh, come or Romo, I'm sure we'll have some, uh, answers in regards to that. Um, you know, there's so much they can do and there's so like so much interesting stuff that they can really uh, attach to, to the WWE championship situation. I you can just hope to God that they have something really well, thought out and planned but you know it's WWE and you know everything's kind of short notice so we'll see what happens but uh, moving on uh, JR is uh, getting set to uh, cover Wrestle Kingdom for uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling and uh, apparently we've got some uh, hints on what uh, on what who sorry on who is going to be uh, broadcasting with him well yeah last week we covered that he is going to be uh commentating for the North American version of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 9. Um, and, of course, we speculated who's going to be his broadcast partner, who's going to be in the booth with him. Apparently, Jeff Jarrett has been kind of um, courting some people to do it with Jim Ross. Here are three names that have kind of been thrown out there, and apparently Jeff Jarrett has gone to already to talk to them about doing the show with Jim Ross. And that is, of course, TNA's Mike Tanay. Mike Tanay. His contract is up at the end of this year for TNA, so that is very possible that Mike Tanay does leave TNA to 
to go to Global Force Wrestling. Um, and, of course, like we said earlier, TNA is looking to bring a whole new feel and a whole new look and brand to TNA. So that might be the first step is uh, moving Mike Tanay, somebody who's been there a long time, get somebody new like a Josh Matthews who has been rumored to be um, under TNA's contract. So that's a whole different story for a different day. But Mike Tanay is a name oh, that they've been talking about. <laughs> ROH's, ROH's uh, Kevin Kelly uh, is somebody that they've been talking about is apparently – and, of course, uh, former UFC mixed martial arts champion Chael Sonnen, who is actually close friends with Jim Ross, and they do a uh, podcast for the same network, Podcast One. So um, that's, of course, a name as well. Um, we kind of spoke about this last week. I would actually prefer Jim Ross just do it on his own. I mean, like Joey Styles' version, just, just have him just go out there and just talk wrestling. I mean, I would just rather hear Jim Ross just – just call the, the the show by himself. What do you think? Um, I would like someone with JR. I don't know. I mean, I, I, did you actually end up hearing any of his commentating with Chell Summon when they uh, got together? Because I think they did a UFC, they did a UFC style show, um, MMA show. Do you hear? Do you listen to that at all? I've heard clips of it. I, I didn't get to watch. I didn't get to hear the whole thing, but I've, <laughs> I've heard clips of it. And they have a good chemistry together. Okay. Well, like, I, I'm very accustomed to to having two people in the booth. I guess so. I would like someone like like him and him and Mike Tanay. I think could really really work well, um, and have like Mike Mike said doing color. Um, but again, you know, Jr. is Jr. I mean, like, all I care about is having someone there that can translate what's going on in the ring and translate these characters. Um, you know on television to me, like in, in regards to New Japan pro wrestling. And that's been the, the thing that's always kind of like, you know, uh, hasn't drawn me to, to the, to their promotion all the time, which is a bit, a bit of a shame, but like, I, I, I need that kind of character connection. And I, I love the matches. Don't get me wrong. Like so every time I've watched a New Japan pro wrestling match, I've loved it. What's going to make me love it even more. If I understand what, what the, the characters, the storylines, I can only uh, interpret so much. And I think, I think Jim Ross just being there is going to be great. So I kind of see where you're coming from, but uh, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. I kind of like someone else in the booth and uh, the, the, Kevin Kelly does a tremendous job on ROH. Uh, and uh, I've heard nothing but good things about Chelsea Sonnen. So there's a lot to uh, kind of uh, consider there. And again, we'll have to wait and see. I'll be definitely getting the pay-per-view come January. I mean, that, that's a selling point. And again, here's a bit of foresight in regards to new Japan pro wrestling. Like I said last week, they already have their card organized and it's in January. Like mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's, that just shows you how, how switched on this promotion is. But, uh, our last point for our new sto- for our new section is, uh, Randy Savage. Now there's a few rumors flying around that he may be in position to be inducted to the hall of fame next year. Well, they have a Randy Savage DVD coming out this year or next year. Um, and the, a lot of people think that the reason for that DVD is to sell Randy Savage as the headliner for the WWE 2015 Hall of Fame class. Um, I, I, I talked to you a little bit about this earlier that, um, you know, and this is going to sound wrong, I could tell already, but I don't know how I feel about somebody who's not alive headlining a class because I really like to hear um, the speeches. I really like to hear the guy reflect on his career and talk about that and all that stuff. So I, I think he will be maybe co-headlining similar to the 2013 
uh, Hall of Fame class where there was, or was it 14, 2014 Hall of Fame class where you had, um, you had Mick Foley, Booker T, you know, Warrior. You had so, so many people on that Hall of Fame class that, um, you know, you had just, you just didn't know who was really headlining it. So I think Savage, if he does headline or quote unquote co-headlines this, this Hall of Fame class, I think it'd be great. I think it's way long, long overdue um, as far as him being in this Hall of Fame class. Um, and I just really hope they re- get, finally pay him the respect he deserves as far as being in this Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, it's a long time coming. There's tons of Facebook groups out there and Twitter handles saying that they're you know, induct Savage, induct Savage. And, and, and it'd be great to see. Like, I'll be there. I'll be there live in Santa Clara to witness it. And just, just, just for the record, uh, Ultimate Warrior actually got inducted yep, last year. No, yeah. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're, we're hardcore wrestling fans. We've got to correct each other for yeah. these things. But uh, mm-hmm. um, listen, yeah, I'll, I'll be there and live in Santa Clara to see the see my fourth Hall of Fame. That would be fantastic. But I, I kind of mm-hmm. see where you're coming from, like having a, a deceased person get inducted and be uh, and it be the headline act. It's going to be Randy Savage. I mean, it, mm-hmm. I guess it all it depends on who's going to induct him. Uh, and uh, that's gonna be very, very important. But uh, there's a way of get you know, there's a way of getting around it and, and making it sort of just a massive, big, uh, a big occasion. And we saw that with Eddie, Eddie Guerrero. I mean, that we had Chris Benoit, we had Chavo Guerrero, we had Rey Mysterio, we had Eddie Guer- Eddie Guerrero's wife, who became you know one of the best, <laughs> one of the biggest heels in, in in recent memory with Vicky Vicky Guerrero. I mean, like there's ways of making this making this feel important and, and special and i think that i think wwe will be up to the challenge if that actually eventuates next year let's get straight into raw because we've, we've still got a ton to cover through and uh the raw uh, the final go home show for survivor series uh this show was uh, it's a one match show at survivor series and the way they've kind of conveyed that story last week on Raw was good, but uh, yeah, I, I, first of all, I just want to just talk about Luke Harper. Um, first of all, I was, I was kind of annoyed that Luke Harper was just a part of the team. And I don't think it was annoy- announced at all on SmackDown that that was the case after what happened last week on Raw. So I thought there was a bit of mystery going into Raw about who was going to be that fifth and final, final, final member. I, I thought well, that's what we were talking about last week with our show. And, and meanwhile, like, he just comes out and he's just part of the team. I mean, like, at first of all, I was like, oh, man, that's just a bit anticlimactic. You know, he's just he's part of the group now. I'm like, okay. And he's still doing I'm the team player kind of, like, tagline. Okay, whatever. But then they backed it up and, re- and redeemed themselves quite nicely with Luke Harper winning his first ever singles championship, the Intercontinental title, beating Dolph Ziggler in the opening of Raw. I'm totally fine with this. I'm, 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 I like it. the fact that they put the championship on him. I think that shows that they, they, they believe in him to a degree. I mean, like, uh, he's a tremendous. Brody Lee is, and I'm sure Crazy Bill Shannon's listening, and he agrees with me. Brody Lee, aka Luke Harper, is a tremendous performer, and I just love the fact that he's a champion straight off the bat. I mean, what, what's your thoughts? Um, I've kind of wavered on this this decision or this booking of this match a little bit back and forth. I, I do love that Luke Harper's finally won his first, uh, you know, f- singles title and it's great for Luke Harper and all that. 
Well, what about Dolph Ziggler? And that's obviously the the big thing with everybody is that, you know, where does Ziggler go now? Does he feud with Harper after this? I don't think so. I think they're going to go with a Rowan and, and Harper feud after this. Um, I just don't know where Ziggler goes now. I mean, they've kind of now started to hint that maybe a Rusev and Ziggler for the U.S. title. isn't That, that, that kind of seems like a step down almost. Yes. Um, usually you'd have, after a, a, a nice reign as, as Intercontinental Champion from Dolph Ziggler, you, you'd have him move up. But, of course, the WWE Champion is not on TV, so where does he move up to? So it's, 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 I just feel that I don't know where Ziggler's going to go now. Where is Ziggler? Just, like I said, he probably is going to end up in the U.S. title picture with Rusev, and I don't know how much that helps or hurts him. Um, but I love that Luke Harper is getting this push. I love that he looks strong on Raw. I think Ziggler looks strong as well. I, I thought the way they, they did that was nice. Instead of having Luke beat him, they had kind of Seth Rollins and, and his his two stooges kind of beat Ziggler down beforehand and then have Harper win. I thought that was a nice touch. So overall, I'm happy for Harper, but I'm just a little concerned on where, where Ziggler goes from here. Ziggler's one of those performers where I – find myself unable to completely emotionally invest in Ziggler because WWE has conditioned me to do so. Mm-hmm. Like, even though he was pushed nicely as Intercontinental Champion, and I think that made his loss not that bad because he's been pushed so strongly in the last few weeks and the way in which the match was executed, just like you talked about with the Stooges, you know, attacking him and and the briefcase shot by Seth Rollins. I mean, that, that, that made his loss all right. I was fine with Luke Harper winning with a lariat. That's fine with me. Um, where he goes from here, I don't know. And, and to a degree, like, I find myself not really caring that much at all because it's like, well, I every time I've invested with Ziggler, I've been seriously disappointed. And it's kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. He should, he should logically take the step up. I mean, like, I think the idea of the Intercontinental Champion being this, like, stepping stone championship has been, it's such an out-of-date perspective. Um, It's actually been a bit of a kiss of death for some people's careers. I hope it's not the case for Luke Harper. I think he could make something well well out of it, but we'll we'll have to see how this goes uh, down the line. Now, Aaron, you have have a few things to say about Bray Wyatt and uh, his... uh, new lease on life in regards to his feud with uh, Dean Ambrose. Well, I feel like Bray Wyatt's feud with Dean Ambrose has been a lot different than anything he's ever had. You know, he's feuded with Cena, he's feuded with Jericho. Um, You know, this one's a lot different. This one, uh, this feud with Dean Ambrose has been much different as far as Bray Wyatt's um, mannerisms, his facial expressions, the way he goes about this feud. It feels much more dark, you know, from the his new entrance, his new, just a lot of different things that makes me look at Bray Wyatt a little more dark. You know, the one key thing I saw about Raw was Dean Ambrose called, uh, I mean, uh, Bray Wyatt called Dean Ambrose out, kind of did a little scuffle, and Bray Wyatt got away. And he was, you know, running toward the ramp. Ambrose was in the ring looking strong. And usually at this point, you see Bray Wyatt start to laugh and start, you know, kind of discrediting the the person he's feuding with, whether it was Cena, when, when, when Cena would look strong and Bray Wyatt would just laugh. Same thing with Chris Jericho. This time, there was no laughter from Bray Wyatt. Serious face the entire time. I loved the little, just a little subtle change he made to that little segment 
I felt like really changed the entire dynamic of this feud. And that's why I'm really invested in this feud. And I'm a little disappointed that it hasn't got a little more billing considering that the five on five matches kind of gotten the, the, the most of the spotlight uh, as far as booking on raw. But I really love Bray Wyatt's kind of new darker character. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's, it's so much darker per se. I think he's still very much the same kind of Bray Wyatt. I just think he's a little bit more focused, I guess. He's a bit more uh, invested in, the, in in this rivalry with uh with Dean Ambrose, because I think at the at the end of the day, there's a big, huge, uh, logical grounding for why these guys are feuding, and uh, I think the whole idea of Bray costing Dean this this shot of get a, a vengeance against Seth Rollins started this whole thing, and I think that it does wonders for what's going to happen later, because if you understand why Dean Ambrose is pissed at. At, at Bray Wyatt, and now for the first time in a long time, I actually understand why Bray Wyatt's after Dean Ambrose. He, he thinks that they're, that they're very much the same. He wants the Dean Ambrose to join him, and at the same time, he wants to fix him, quote unquote, from his troubled past. All right, I get it. I understand that, and it is good to see Bray Wyatt be a bit more uh, serious and, and and scared of Dean Ambrose. Hell, he's a bloody heel. He's a heel. He should be. When it comes down to it, I don't care if he's a cult leader or he's a clown. If you're a heel, you got to be, you know, carrying away from situations where you can't, you, you know, where you're faced up with a with an even challenge. I'm totally fine with Bray Wyatt actually taking Dean Ambrose seriously. He should be. And uh, um, I'm looking forward to this match. I think this will be a good, solid match uh, for the pay per view. Obviously, you know, a five-on-five elimination match has kind of dominated the scene, but we'll we'll definitely see what happens uh, down the line. Now, um, I always wanted to talk about uh, Eric Rowan, because I know you're going to be talking about Eric Rowan next. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm fine with Eric Rowan being this last-minute substitute for Sheamus, because I think that's what's happened. I don't think Eric Rowan's plan was to enter into this into this program so quickly. Now, I don't know if they, they they made that decision during the show on Raw this week, but you're trying to push this whole idea of like Eric Rowan being this monster and he's st- uh, standing up to to uh, uh, Luke Harper. I've got two points I want to make here. First of all, if you if he's this new baby face you really want to make a, a run with, short term, long term, doesn't matter. Why the hell would you associate him? with grumpy cat and have this dumb segment backstage where he's like, did you say that pretty kitty or something like that? Immediately. I'm just like turning off the, cha- I'm, I'm just, I'm changing channels. I'm like, well, this guy's a geek. I don't care. So then they have it like, uh, thank God that they had the history with the Wyatt family and with Luke Harper, because him joining the team would have just been like, whatever. And second of all, why is Luke Harper? Why is Eric Rowan suddenly against Luke Harper? Why? Do you know? Uh, I think the, I guess the storyline behind it is that Harper was control, not controlling, but Harper was always the yeah, gatekeeper yeah. to Eric Rowan. You're, well, where'd you hear this? You just assume, because like, that's the thing, like, you, you think that's what's going on. Pro wrestling should just be telling you what's going on. You shouldn't have to think and, and put pieces together. And I just thought, you know, like, God, it got a good reaction, and I I got a bit excited when he walked out. But it, it, like the more I thought about it now, maybe that's my problem. I'm thinking about it too much. 
I'm like, why? You should always ask why with pro wrestling. And but but at the same time, like, what do you think of Eric Rowan's uh, association with Team Cena on Raw? I love it. I mean, that was. <laughs> I love Eric Rowan, and I have a an article coming up tomorrow uh, explaining why I think Eric Rowan has the potential to be a main event caliber superstar the right way. The comparison that I've made with Eric Rowan, uh, we love as wrestling fans to make comparison, you know, Dean Ambrose is the next Austin or whatever. If I'm comparing Eric Rowan to somebody, I think he compares to George the Animal Steel so well that it's almost uncanny. Kind of a childlike mind, but a beast once he gets in the ring. Just a monster. Just a weird monster. Same thing with Eric Rowan. He has the sheet mask. You know, I, I think, and I think the reason with the grumpy cat segment, as much as I hated it as well, um, I think I could see what they're trying to do. They're trying to make Eric Rowan look like just a sympathetic baby face with some of that kind of stuff. And then once he gets in the ring, he's a monster. It's, that's a lot similar to George the Animal Steel. So and some, I don't want to jump ahead to SmackDown, but even in SmackDown, he, with, with that big segment with, all, um, with Team Cena backstage, you see Eric Rowan playing within a Rubik's Cube. I mean, he's just playing what, what within a Rubik's Cube. It? What the hell was it all that about? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just, they're trying to portray Eric Rowan as this simple-minded, childlike brain, but at the same time, just a monster once he gets in the ring. That's why I think he has such potential to be something different. I love his look with the long orange beard and the sheet mask. I think in the ring, he's really stiff and and, um, you know, just a mauler. And I think he has such great potential to be somebody a lot bigger than what he can be. I, I'm hoping that they give Luke Harper and Eric Rowan the spotlight after Survivor Series to go one-on-one with each other. And I think Eric I love Eric Rowan. I think he is kind of a coal that's kind of been, can be uh, produced into a diamond. I think he can be somebody that WWE can count on as far as a heel in the future, as a baby face, as somebody that can get better as uh, as time goes on. Well, stay tuned to ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com in the in the coming week for that article from Aaron. Because that's going to be a... I, 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 it, you do explain it quite well on why Aaron, Aaron could be actually something uh, quite good to... Quite good to watch. I think I, I I enjoyed his match on SmackDown. I think he's definitely got potential. Does he have as much potential as you say? I much. It's too early to say in regards to his singles run because we haven't really seen very much from him. But hey, we'll see what happens. But that's Raw, everybody. Uh, we'll, we'll just wrap up Raw right now because uh, we've got so much else to get into. But uh, I, I I wanted to talk about Ryback versus Cesaro, uh, but uh, and the reasons why. That match was just head scratching times a thousand, and uh, there's a few other things, but we'll but we'll we'll talk about that maybe at another time. But let's get straight into the NXT awards. Mm-hmm. NXT's weekly awards, where we award NXT's up and comer of the week, weekly downside of the week, as well as the MVP of the week. But we'll start off with uh, the up and comer of the week. Uh, Aaron, who did you have? Well, it was. Uh... It was a quick up-and-comer because the his time on TV this week was about 30 seconds long. It was <laughs> Kevin Steen. I think Kevin Steen, with his short promo, of course, revealing the date he will debut, which is December um, 
December 11th at NXT mm-hmm. TakeOver R Evolution, which is such a weird name, by the way. I, I it's it's like a I, I was so confused. A lot of people were saying just calling it TakeOver again. It's called Evolution, but now apparently it's called R Evolution. You know, kind of a play on words with Revolution, I guess. It's whatever, but. Uh, Kevin Steen, <laughs> up and comer of the week. I think that short promo is just a little taste of what we're going to see from Kevin Steen eventually when he he debuts. My up and comer is exactly the same person. He's Kevin Owens, isn't it? Now? Yeah, Kevin Owens. Yep, but they, they haven't Kevin said Owens. that yet. So totally fine with that name. That's fine. Everyone was kind of complaining about it. Do these fans understand now that? Vince McMahon likes things like likes to make his own creation. Of course, he's not going to be Kevin Steen. Just as much as Finn Balor was was not going to be uh, uh, Prince Devitt, you know. Like I'm totally fine with that, and I was totally fine and loving this short thirty second tease for his debut. I like the fact that his character already. What do I know about his character? He believes that he's the future of the company. He's the future of NXT. So that, that immediately just. It, it just sends you're like okay this guy's all about winning and being the best and being like you know wanting to be the best of nxt so that means he wants to be the best in wwe so we immediately treat him seriously even if you didn't know who kevin steam was before wwe i mean I, and there's a lot of mystery surrounding him as well there's all we've got is a you know a close-up shot of his face we don't even know like where he comes from, all that kind of stuff. And I think that if, he, if they continue with these vignettes coming up to uh, NXT TakeOver, I think that the, 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 the response is going to be incredible when he comes out to Full Sail University. Now, NXT's downside of the week, I think we both kind of struggled to find one because we did watch this uh, together uh, this week. And uh, it was really, a, 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 as usual, a lot of good stuff. But uh, yeah, tell us what, what was your downside of the week. My downside of the week was the lack of an audible during Bull Dempsey's match. Um, you, you and me kind of commented on it where they had um, Baron Corbin come out for a quick squash match. And then as Baron Corbin was leaving, Bull Dempsey came down to the ring. They kind of teased an interaction between those two. Then Bull got into the ring for his squash match, and the NXT crowd was you know, counting. And I'm just a little disappointed that WWE didn't call a quick audible and just say, Hit him quick, quick, like, try and, you know, j- just be in that moment. I think they might do that next week. They realize that maybe we can, maybe they have something there where they have Bull Dempsey come out right after Baron Corbin and, and you know, lay him down in 20 seconds. So I think that was just, and like I said before, I had a really tough time finding a downside. It was really, it was really tough to find one. But if I had to pick one, it was WWE's or NXT's lack of, of being able to call an audible during Bull Dempsey's match. Yeah, I think that's a good downside too, because uh, yeah, now that I remember it, yeah, that was would have made so much sense to have him like pretty much beat his his opponent in the same time that Baron Coleman beat his opponent. Um, yeah, I, I I think that's a good one. But again, uh, for me, the downside was the backstage segments and the fact that you you know you you, you talk about like how important audiences and kind of like conveying a storyline point or, you know, getting people excited. I'm sick and tired of these backstage segments in, in NXT, not having an audience responding to them. Um, we had a Charlotte and Bailey segment. Now the, these, these performance are like most of them, I say about not 80% of them 
aren't that really good charisma charisma wise you know they they can't really convey these segments that that well that's 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 why they're at nxt you know they're learning these things and i think the crowd because they're passionate about the product and passionate about the characters i think they're almost essential to be heard uh, um, in these events. Like, I know the show's taped, but I think they should be have a way of actually showing these uh, segments live to the audience and recording the Zam, because I think it's very, very important. Because right now, I've got, got a Bailey Charlotte segment that was pretty much poorly acted and, and poorly executed, and it was, just, it, was, it was like it was almost done in a vacuum. I, I just it, it takes me out of the, uh, it takes me away from the uh, amazing energy that is Full Sail University, and then we're suddenly some I don't even know, like we're somewhere in the bowels of the building. There's just no sound. It's it, it completely just kind of kills the vibe for me. But um, the MVP of the week, NXT's MVP of the week. I think we might be in sync with this one, but I'll have to find out. Uh, who was yours, uh, Aaron? Um, I had a little debate between Adrian Neville and Sami Zayn. I felt like both of them really shined in that last segment on, on NXT, but I ultimately ultimately went with Sami Zayn. I feel like Sami Zayn's on a completely different level than, than Adrian Neville as far as having a polished character. Um, you know, I felt like Zayn was much better on the mic. I feel like Adrian Neville still has a lot to learn as far as talking, but I'm going to go with Sami Zayn. I think the emotion heat, he portrayed in that promo and, and wanting one more shot in the, the addition of William Regal. I thought that segment in general was the MVP of the week, but if I had to give it to one person, uh, I went with Sami Zayn. Yeah, I went with Sami Zayn as well. It seems like every week I'm actually finding someone to replace Sami Zayn for MVP of the week because he's just so goddamn good. Um for those who haven't read my article, the last article I did, which was almost a week ago, so I've got another one incoming, but uh, was about Sami Zayn and how Sami Zayn has that baby face, that raw baby face quality that WWE needs right now. Um, that could be a real big difference maker uh, on the main event roster. And like, I really felt like this segment, this go well, this final segment on NXT, uh, kind of selling the fact that uh, uh, Sami Zayn will quit if he doesn't win the NXT Championship. That this was his time to really show some some raw emotion, and I think he kind of, for the most part, I think he really nailed it. I think he really got angry where he needed to. Showed great fire, um, and it, again, you gotta sit, you gotta take take it for what it is. Take where Sami Zayn is in his career. He's only been with NXT. I think it's only two or three years, and like he's showing that kind of great natural charisma already. And this is a guy that was wearing a mask for most of his career in the Indies. You know why he was wearing a mask for for most of his career is ridiculous because he's got such a great face for this industry as well. So, Sami Zayn this week for for both of us for our MVP of the week. I'm looking. I'm so much looking forward to this to to this uh, final confrontation between Zayn and uh and uh, Neville. I think it's going to be fantastic, and I think. Again, NXT TakeOver is just looking like a stellar show already. I mean, let's just hope that Kevin Steen has a good opponent come TakeOver. Mm-hmm. Um, so SmackDown, the good, the bad of SmackDown. Now, I reviewed SmackDown this week, and uh, we'll obviously get your, your, your thoughts, Aaron, on the good and the bad. But uh, we'll go straight into the good of SmackDown for me. Triple H has done his absolute damnedest through this whole program to make us care about this storyline. Um, 
uh, he really has single-handedly kind of carried it in regards to promos, in regards to his his actions in and out outside the ring. Obviously, this week he's got a hell of a lot more physical to the point where I'm just still wondering why he wasn't he wasn't included in the match in the end. But it is what it is. I mean, uh, we'll see how it pans out in uh, uh, in 24 hours time. But SmackDown pretty much had a uh, a very long promo with Triple H. I kind of lost a little bit of interest, but, you know, like like any kind of Triple H promo, by the end of it, you kind of just, like, eyes glued to the screen, like, just kind of, like, uh, getting completely succumbed to all his his emotion and his energy. But I, what I loved most about the show was the actual, the beatdown that Team Authority put on Team Cena and the involvement of Triple H. I mean, it's almost like Triple H was wrestling this this wrestling on Sunday, like I've said, but like he was, he was beating down Ryback. He was destroying uh, team authority with chairs, whether this is a good or a bad idea to have someone that's not even in the match destroying uh, team Cena. I mean, that is an arguable point, but again, like Triple H said in his promo, he's the last uh, member of the attitude era that's left. And like when Triple H gets physical, he kind of outshines a lot of people. So this, it, it kind of made the, it, you kind of put the logic to, to the side in this kind of regard, but great job by Triple H on SmackDown. If you haven't seen it, go up on WWE.com's uh, YouTube channel. I'm sure you'll find the last three minutes of the segment uh, up there and it's worth watching. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say a bad word about Triple H. So um, I forgot, I I forgot like- of course. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like his promo was really good at the end um, or at the beginning. And I think that his, you know, beat down at the end really just stole the spotlight. And I don't know if that was a good thing or bad thing that it stole the spotlight from his own team, but that's a really good point as far as why isn't he in this match? Like mm. it really just, it baffles me that he's not in this match and maybe something changes at survivor series. Maybe somebody gets taken out. Who knows? But I'm really shocked that he's not in this in this match. And you know, the casual fan would think, why you know, why isn't he in the match? So that's a good point. I, I think, and I really like the realism, the the realism of that promo at the beginning, where he talked about the attitude there. And you know, I think it rubbed a lot of fans the wrong way. I doubt a lot of people saw it because you know, SmackDown is not a big you know big hot pop thing going around. You know, people don't go out of their way to watch it. But I, I that's, why, like that's, that's, that's why that's why that's why people. Yeah. Make it go ahead. Like, I, I just felt like if that promo was on Raw, people would be going crazy. Of course. I mean, it, it kind of makes me wonder, especially with the stipulation that was added on SmackDown. I think we should just very quickly talk about that. The fact that now Team Cena, if they lose, every member bar, T, uh, bar John Cena is fired. Um. Oh. Does this affect the finish at all? I don't think it really, really does. I think the authority is is done. Come, come, uh, come, raw. Because I just don't see, I don't see uh, WWE like just taking all these members, these these key members of the of the roster at a time where the roster is thin as, uh, mm-hmm. taking them off television. And if they do the storyline, like there's no way they're going to stay off television for too long. So it's just going to completely destroy the, the idea of the stipulation to begin with. Um, yep. But why this was on, why, yeah, why this promo wasn't on SmackDown, why this beatdown, sorry, why this promo wasn't on Raw, why the beatdown wasn't on Raw, and why this stipulation wasn't announced on Raw is is head-scratching. I, I, I shouldn't say, I'm always for SmackDown having big moments, but I think we've we, we got to accept the fact that the viewership is almost, is almost, not really, like, 
cut in half, not not even cut in half. Like, um, it, yeah, it's kind of head scratching. But, uh, but moving on, uh, talking about uh, Rusev. Now, I'm loving Rusev. I think Rusev is like one of the best things in WWE right now. Uh, and it seems like every time he steps in the ring, he's just getting better and better. Um, he looked great against Dolph Ziggler. Uh, shock horror. I mean, Dolph Ziggler bouncing around for a giant is always fantastic. And and goddamn, Rusev is just so agile and quick. And his vertical jump is ridiculous. And he's got that spin kick. But now he's got these facials involved in his, in his work that's even better. Like, there's one point in this match where Dolph Ziggler hit the zigzag on Rusev and Rusev just gave one of the most incredible facials like oh my god this fucker almost beat me it was the best like facial I've it was just so good and then the afterwards just the intensity and the smirking of Rusev was fantastic um uh, going to the bad of Smackdown Aaron we'll, we'll get we'll get your thoughts at the end of the uh when I get through all these points but uh <sighs> so the main event of Smackdown as you know Aaron was uh Seth Rollins and, and Kane versus Big Show and Ryback, right? Now, it seems like all these main events are usually go for 13, 14 minutes. If the end goal was to have this massive heel beatdown uh, and, and, and have, the, uh, have the heels just raid the ring and beat up the baby faces, why have a 13, 14 minute match where you're getting the crowd invested in the near falls, you're, you're making these, this crowd uh, start wondering who's going to win, who's going to lose. Uh, why have this main event just end on a dumb run in DQ like they have done every single week, at least in one main event for other Raw or SmackDown? I have no idea why they think this is like, good for business, why like this is going to enhance people's reasoning for getting into matches because i tell you what i'm getting sick and tired of of investing time into main event matches and then just having the rug pull out from underneath uh, the the performers and then the the end result meaning nothing i'm just it just drives me nuts and and, and meanwhile like while the heel beatdown was great where was john cena well, John Cena was not on the show at all at a time where that the team members were going through some pretty tumultuous times getting announced. You know, like if they lose their, their if they lose at Survivor Series, they lose their jobs. Where's Teen Cena? Where's John Cena to console them at their biggest time of need? I mean, it's it, it's just ridiculous. I'll, I'll ask you right now, Aaron. What do you what do you think of this 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 re- ridiculous mindset when it comes to main event matches and these bullshit finishes that happen way too much and serve no purpose? Well, I think you're kind of spot on with, with more of the, you know, I'm kind of sick of this, the run-ins finishes. But the funniest thing about this is that, you know, you always hear the, the complaining about the, these fans that want the Attitude Era back. And if people don't remember, the Attitude Era was filled with these kind of finishes for every single Raw or SmackDown or whatever. So um, the people that want that back and aren't liking what's happening now, um, it's a bit hypocritical. You know, I'm not sure, you know, Maybe the quality is a little different in, as far as the run-ins are concerned. Um, but I, I feel like WWE has uh, such a tough time um, trying to create something new and different every week for their main events that I think they kind of lean heavily on these run-ins. Um, and that's a fault, obviously. That's a fault to them and, and to, the, the, to the superstars and to the fans watching the show. Um, so I kind of understand that they, they, they're trying to, I guess, 
create some intrigue. And maybe that's some of the point of the authority is that, you know, you get invested in these matches and then they pull the rug out from under you and have Kane interfere or whoever interfere. Um, that may be part of the dislike that you're supposed to have for the authority. I don't know, but um, I do agree with you that I'm getting a little sick of the run and finishes. Like if it's, if it's every week, like, like if Kane interfered at like key moments, like say for a very important match, and it was the first kind of finish that, of like this that we've seen in, in many many months. Say, I'd be fine with it if it serves a purpose. I'd be fine with it. On SmackDown, they just ran in and it was like, why are these guys even wrestling? Why do they even wrestle for this long? If 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 the authority didn't give a crap about who's going to win. Why do we see a 13-minute match? Oh, because you know, on SmackDown, you know, on SmackDown and for main events and on WWE programming, we need a main event that goes long. Okay, but like, you're just conditioning your audience not to care about who wins and who loses, and like that, at the end of the day, is such a ridiculously bad thing for the product because it's wrestling. It's pro pro wrestling. It's not just television. It's not just a television drama where like, you know, everything's kind of like made up and it's fantasy. It's got, it's grounded in sports competition. And like, and, and for me, it wins and losses need to mean something. And it just seems like WWE doesn't care. And moving on to my last bad point of SmackDown, because again, we've got TNA and other things to get into. So Cesaro, like in a rare appearance doing a promo, Backstage, he actually said, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm going to be a, a, a an advocate for Team Authority." Now, <sighs> Kane completely just put over Cesaro, like, "Oh, yeah, you know, like he's he's this worthwhile, uh, you know, important member of of the Authority and blah blah blah." Even though he's not on the team, now I'm fine with Cesaro in this role as like the Authority's hitman, but like again, to that wins and losses mean a lot. Cesaro has been beaten by every single person he's wrestled against for this whole month, pretty much. Uh, he may have won on Superstars or he may have won on Raw in a squash match leading up to something. I don't know. But, but again, it's like probably being like something like Sin Cara or something. The, the, the guy has no credibility. So it makes the authority look dumb by investing in someone that doesn't even have uh, wins under his buck. So what? He, he, he does impressive things in the match. I love his matches. I've always been an advocate for Cesaro. Cesaro, he's a great professional wrestler. He's probably one of the best wrestlers in the company right now. But without wins and wins behind his back and, and a credible kind of like uh, storyline, it, it means nothing. And like he went out there and just jobbed out to bloody uh, Eric Rowan. Again, I understand because Eric Rowan has just started his singles push. He needs a big win. He beats Cesaro. But God damn it. Like it's Cesaro like tapped out as well. Like, how are we meant to care about Cesaro in these roles if if uh, if he doesn't have the wins behind him? Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I, you know, and like you said, the, the reason behind it was obviously because Rowan needed a big win, and I thought Rowan, by the way, looked incredibly, really good. I mean, I thought his 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 move set and everything about him looked really good. But I'm just yeah. so bored of Cesaro. Like he's boring. Like I just and I see why they're not pushing him. I'm probably going to catch crap for it, but you know, he's, he's a great injury performer. He's so good. Like you said, one of the best in the company, but his character puts me to sleep, puts me to sleep. Like the, we didn't even know what his character is. Exactly. And you just, you don't know. It's just, it's so terrible. And, and the thing that, that, Oh my, I cringed 
was Cesaro leaving that segment with Kane saying, <laughs> yes. uh, Cesaro out. I was like, what the heck was that? Like, <laughs> that was just Cesaro out. Yeah, Cesaro, because I'm, I, I just, I don't, and maybe it's not his fault, I don't know, but he has, and people like, uh, you know, people say that he has charisma. Uh, I have yet to see, see any charisma Cesaro has. I've yet to see it, because maybe it's WWE's fault not giving him the chance to, but if, if and here's a great point that I always make. Cream always rises to the top. Always, always. Great superstars always find a way to get to the top. Now, of course, Cesaro hasn't been given the chance. Of course not. But there's going to come a time where Cesaro has to just somehow get there. And he just, the, the, his charisma, his, his talking ability, his mic work is just not there. It's just not there. I don't care what anybody says about his, his promos in ROH or, or in, in, during the Indies. I don't care. It doesn't matter there. It matters here. And I just feel like Cesaro just puts me to sleep. He's just boring. His charisma's not there. He's great in the ring, but you know, I'm just not interested in seeing him anymore. That's the thing. I just don't care anymore. I think I think this is your first ever rant on Wrestling's uh, Week that was, Aaron. So hey, there you go. <laughs> That's your first ever rant on Cesaro of all people. But no, no, I, don't, I he, listen. He has been given chances. Yeah, he really actually has. He's been put in WWE Championship matches. He he was assigned with Paul Heyman. They had him have a big win uh, this year at WrestleMania. Like you know, he's he's been put in situations where he's been forced to shine. And I, I hate to agree with you, but I think his charisma just isn't there. But uh, obviously, well, you never know. We might see something out of Cesaro come Sunday at Survivor Series. But again, we'll just have to see how it goes. Um, Going right straight into TNA. Now, Aaron, you uh, reviewed TNA. Uh, was it good or TNA awful or TNA average? Um, I'm going to go with TNA good. I felt like um, it could have been better for a you know the, the final show of 2014 apparently, or on the Spike on Spike TV, which that's which they weren't billing it as, which I won't I won't fault them for. But this, for all likelihood, this is their last show on Spike TV. Um, I felt like it was a good mix of a bunch of different things. I felt like I loved the Kurt Angle, Anderson, and Bobby Roode versus the, you know, MVP, Lashley, and Kenny King, that kind of whole dynamic throughout the night. I like that MVP is kind of coming into his own as a heel now, and he, he looks like he doesn't care anymore and just, just doesn't give a crap anymore. I really like that. Um mm. Yeah. I like that Kurt Angle's kind of getting a little more physical now, and and of course he just signed his new contract, so he's probably going to get one more run as far as wrestling goes, uh, which I was a oh, big wow. fan of. Um, yeah, yep, he's a new contract signed apparently with TNA, so um, you know I feel like he's going to get one more run as far as you know his in ring work goes. Um, so I felt like the entire storyline with Rude and Lashley and and, and that those that group was was really good and I loved the the last um, that last sequence of events. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll I'll say TNA good myself. Um, there was a few little things that kind of annoyed me about the show, the crowd being uber small and like with the with the performers like doing their stuff in like what felt like a, a arena of like a hundred people did not uh, bode well for the show and like in regards to its energy and 
and uh, selling of their, their points. But it was, you know, the, again, the, the basis of the show was good. I, I love uh, EC3 and Spud's interaction mm -hmm. every single week, and I think this was another good example. It, although I was a little bit puzzled that uh, in that in the segment in which uh, EC3 challenged Spud to a fight, uh, Spud got the advantage by kicking EC3 in the balls, uh, but then then EC3 just beat the crap out of Spud fairly and then left him laying. Uh, I would have expected maybe a run-in by Tyrus because EC3 is the heel. I think the whole idea is to make Spud kind of look a little bit stronger against EC3. But again, the interaction, EC3 is fantastic. And that's one thing I want to say about this show that kind of like was emphasized. There's so many good characters in TNA that I like, that I'm interested in, that either talk well or they have a good uh, basis to them. I love MVP's talking ability. I think it's fantastic. I love Kenny King. I think Kenny King's one of the oh, best, yeah. one of the most under, one of the most underrated heels in in the whole industry right now. That's on television. I think he's just, he's so good in the ring, and he's just such a I, like I with, with what he's doing with the Chris Melendez, the uh, the Marine that had that, that has his uh, leg missing. I, I, that stuff is incredible. He's, he's such a bad. I I I I, I want I. Do hate him when I'm when he's on television, uh, and Bram and Bram as well. Like this whole crazed uh, hardcore wrestler, it's fantastic. There's a lot to love about TNA. Um, it's great to hear that Kurt Angle signed again. By the way, I mean I think that's I think Lashley versus Angle, if they can stay on television, should be the next big key last run for Kurt Angle. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, TNA good for me. Um, they're building towards Lashley and Rude for 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 the next time. I think that's going to be a great match. Uh, hopefully, there's a little bit of stipulation ad added to make it a little bit different. But yeah, again, TNA good. I made this the yeah. segment to make fun of TNA, and I seem to be praising them every week. It's good. It's a good show. And by the way, just uh, not to end on a sour note, but I'm going to Havoc is absolutely atrocious. She is Thank you. so bad. She is so bad. Like her match against uh, 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 Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell this week. Like they got the, the girls tried hard. They really, really did try hard. But Havoc was awful. She can't do a thing in that ring. She is so slow and and just she, her <laughs> selling ability. Her selling ability is just awful. Like. She's like some. I understand it's a little harder to sell for two people attacking at the same time. You know, with with Kim and, oh, and Come Perfil on. Being, I mean, I get I get it, but you know, like her selling ability is just terrible. I mean, she she would like flinch when she wasn't even getting kicked, and when she was getting kicked, she wouldn't even move. And it's like she's just <laughs> awful. Like you you hit it. You, there's really no. And she's so boring. That's the thing that got me. She's boring. She has yeah. no appeal. Whatsoever, I understand they're trying to they're trying to give her some gimmick where she looks like Bane or something, and it's just it's a, like I don't I, care. Again, like it's just, oh. what, 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 why, why has she got that mask on? What is she? Nobody knows. Uh, again, uh, nobody knows. So what? So and like, okay, I'm fine with it being that the fact when you first see her, but now it's been like months. I still don't, I still don't know what she's all about, but yeah. Maybe she's like one of the one of the uh, contracts that they can cut uh, when they're trying to budget the uh, show come 2015. But, yeah, they hope so. But yeah, regardless, still a good show, guys. Uh, if you have time, check it out this week on TNA Impact. But uh, the matches of the week, I found this hard to find a really good match this week because yeah, I didn't think compared compared to last week where there was so many good matches, 
And when you had Sami Zayn versus Adrian Neville, it was just a no-brainer, which was going to be number one. But uh, this week, um, I went with well, uh, third match on the show. Third, third match on the list was uh, Ziggler versus Rusev uh, on mm-hmm. SmackDown. I thought that was was a good solid TV uh, TV match. Um, Sheamus versus the Big Show. I didn't get a, a chance to talk about this on Raw. Um, but they had a really good match. Like Sheamus and the Big Show just have good chemistry together. And God, Sheamus is so strong. Like at one point he he had show up on his shoulders for an electric chair drop. Damn it. Like like the guy's like almost 450 pounds. It's ridiculous. Uh, uh, but uh, that was my second match of the week on Raw. And the last match for me was, I guess, the, the X Division four-way to the crown the new champion. Uh, a lot of good innovative spots. Uh, it was a little bit of a spot fest here and there, but like um, low-key winning and, and gelling really well with Manic. I thought Manic was going to win, considering you know it'd be great to have a, a few more championships in the uh, in the James Storm's faction. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, the, the X Division uh, four-way was my um, match of the week. What was yours? Um, well, number three for me was Tommy Dreamer versus Bram. I thought that match was just a solid hardcore match. I, I'm always a, a sucker for just a just a straight up just hardcore match and I thought Bram looked really strong and I really I, I think it's say during the TNA thing uh recap that you know Bram they've really just they've done such a good job with him I mean they, they've really oh, yeah. made him into a monster and he's oh, yeah. coming across as such a good just such a good heel and, and really becoming becoming a hardcore legend almost and uh you know just some of the little things in this match where you know Tommy Dreamer and and they they both bled, which is you know a controversial topic nowadays. That you know mm, just blood yeah. be allowed or whatever. This was just the right amount, and I'm all, I'm all for blood in the in the the, the the right moments. Now this was the right moment. This was you know a selling point for Bram. You're trying to make Bram look like this big you know hardcore legend trying to take all these legends. I really thought Bram looked really solid, especially when he wiped the blood on his chest. That's really like old school stuff right there. I love Bram in this match. Number two for me was the Manic versus Loki versus Tigre Uno versus uh, DJZ for the exhibition title. I thought this match, like you said, was solid. Um, but the number one match for me this week was Luke Harper versus Dolph Ziggler for the IC title. I thought there was some really good, nice false finishes. I thought, you know, you really mm. didn't know who was going to win. And I really felt like, um, you know, there was a nice story told here as well. Yeah, uh, I can see why Luke Harper and um, Dolph Ziggler should be in the list, actually, now that I'm kind of thinking about my list. But, uh, yeah, those are the matches of the week, guys. There's a there's a bit of good wrestling there, not as good as last week, but uh, next week's going to be Survivor Series, so we'll be definitely covering that. Plus, pretty much on, on, on pay-per-view weeks, there'll be a ton of good matches that will be included in our Matches of the Week segment. So uh, get ready for that next week. So let's rush into the podcast of the week. I seem to be finding myself always enamored with uh, the Ross Report because Jim Ross, he's just the greatest mind in pro wrestling and has such 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 uh, astute and like great observations on what's going on. He had an interview with the Hardys that uh, unfortunately I just didn't get into because there was three good, great points that he made before even ch- chatting with the Hardys that I had to record and um, show here on Wrestling's Week that was. The first one uh, that I really want to talk about, which was on JR's mind, was had to do with uh, the importance of finishes in uh, pro wrestling matches. And it kind of ties in with my rant that's been going on for this whole show. Let's just see what uh, uh, JR thinks about uh, finishes uh, in pro wrestling. I think I'd like to see 
organic, you know, finish, finish is really unique. A finish is supposed to make a segment of the audience happy and a segment of the audience mad or angry. And uh, it's just human nature. It really is. Uh, so the more finishes you see, you can create a positive emotion of either happiness or being angry. Well, you don't, you don't hit Geneva. You don't hit Switzerland. You don't hit neutrality. You don't hit non-caring. You don't hit flat. I am no longer plugged in because we did a lame countout or a even lamer disqualification just because we didn't have the creativity to come up with a finish. It's silly in today's market more often than not. Yes, there are exceptions, but not as many as one would make an argument for. So my question is, like, has WWE lost touch with these fundamentals in pro wrestling, such as finishes? Because uh, more often than not, like, they're just re- re- rehashing the same kind of stuff over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something where, like we said earlier, it, it's done, you know, disqualifications are okay in the right sense. I mean, having it every week obviously doesn't work for, for everybody, but... Like he said, you know, the the job of a finish is supposed to invoke emotion, and either way, either happy or, or sad. So that's something they've kind of gone away with as far as the disqualification of the run-ins go, where they just have you not care anymore. And, and like he said, that's like Jim Ross said, you know, that that's something you don't want. You don't want the fans to sit there and not care because they know um, a disqualification is coming or running from Kane or or something like that. So he's spot on when he talks about finishes and kind of WWE and wrestling in general, kind of not understanding uh, when a certain finish should be used and when it shouldn't be. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's not rocket science really when you break it down, like like everything needs to have a reasoning and, and something behind it that, that makes the fans go, Oh, they'll get angry, but okay. It makes sense within the context of something. These, the, you know, I, I think I think WWE just needs to kind of switch on in regards to these things more often than not. Uh, the second question, or the second point uh, that uh, JR brings up is all about heels and little heel nuances. And he kind of uses Rusev as a really good example of this. Nice to see uh, Rusev, U.S. champion, retreat occasionally. Uh, that was pointed out on Twitter. I've been pushing for that. It's just a, another common sense thing. Cowards can't be uh, embraced. No one likes a coward or a liar or a bitcher or a whiner or a moaner or a groaner. At some point, enough is effing enough. So it's just human nature to look at some of the traits that are so easy to allow to manifest themselves so one can be a good heel. If you're a good wrestling heel in today's world, you will always find work. But Rusev well, has got to learn some of the more of the nuances of being a heel. And I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm sure that someone in WWE is assigned to him to make sure that he gets feedback, the same feedback on a regular basis, not 40 feedbacks, but the same feedback on a regular basis so that he can absorb and learn. And then maybe passing to another agent that can teach him some more. But the bottom line is, with no territories, you got to be able to improvise uh, your teaching. 
And uh, I'm wondering if all wrestling organizations have or are doing that. Well, there you go. Like, like little things here and there make the difference. Like, as far as like uh, I'm concerned, I've been watching wrestling for so long. What differentiates certain characters from others, and their understanding of what's going on in the ring, are those nuances, those things that make you like hate the person more, that like make you like someone a little bit more. And when it comes to heels, I think that's kind of lost in today's market. Yeah, and like I said earlier, you know, with with Bray Wyatt, there's, you know, he's been doing things lately that are just little, small, subtle things that a heel would do instead of a babyface. So, and in today's WWE and wrestling in general, there's, you know, a mixed or a blurred line of heels and babyfaces, and people are kind of moving away from that more and just having, you know, just two guys instead of having a heel and a babyface and. You know, and Jim is spot on with Rusev as far as being, you know, one of the top heels and legitimate heels. Like he is a legitimate heel. There's no, there's nobody out there that's cheering for Rusev as maybe except for maybe the Russian fans. But uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think, I think he. There's nobody there that's really cheering for him, and that's that's the fundamentals of a heel. Yeah. I've- that should always be your goal. It should never ever to be uh, liked in any way, shape, or form. I mean, like I like Rusev because he is a good heel. I don't like him because he's cool or anything like that. And um, and that was that's been the problem for a long, long time. But uh, the final point that I want to bring up with what Jr. talked about in his podcast this week is about crowd signs and about uh, uh, fan calls in uh, in matches. So let's just have a little quick listen to this. And lastly, a WWE snatching non-profane posters and mooting chants that some in the company feel are non-productive to the company is a mistake, in my opinion. Raw was the most fun when there were all kinds of signs and posters and fans had a voice. You take away the voice of the fans... And, and you're and not being able to creatively utilize what the fans have given you. I don't know, man. I just think that uh, it, it, it just doesn't make Raw raw. I think you, if you see a trend as a producer or at a particular event, you go with that. And, and sometimes the fans have great chance that the wrestlers could react to instead of acting like it never happened, if it wasn't pro-WWE. The show should be about a melting pot. If WWE says they represent the wrestling business, and they and they largely do because of their library and their resources, their success and their footprint, and well-deserved. So if they're the conscious of the wrestling business, then they should allow the craziness and the wonderful spontaneity of our audience to express themselves. Now, we have some differing points of view on this, Aaron. Uh, before we went on the air, I kind of got a little bit of a, uh, a feel for it. And uh, if you want to know Aaron's thoughts about this in detail, head over to prowrestlingpowerhouse.com because he's written an article about this. Now, do you think fans should be able to cheer and boo and, and hold up the signs uh, freely at, at wrestling events? Well, like you said, you can go to prowrestlingpowerhouse.com and get my full thoughts on it. If you just type in the search bar, I hate wrestling signs. 
Um, <laughs> I, I think I have no problem with people voicing their opinions and, and, and screaming and, and yelling and going psycho at these events. That's fine with me. I just cannot stand wrestling signs. The, 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 the posters, the, the long posters with their people's, with people's Twitter handles on them and these stupid posters all over the place. I understand what Jim's saying as far as it adds to the excitement for the fans at home, but for the people in the arena, it's fucking miserable having to sit and <laughs> sit there and there's people in front of you with signs up and you can't even see what's going on. So that's one of my biggest problems is for the people in the, in attendance, perfect example. I, I, I even said it in my article. I went to raw last year in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. I sat ninth row on the floor. Okay. Camera side. So obviously people in front of me are going to be sticking up their stupid signs the entire night. I honestly could not see for at least half the show. What I, I had to keep looking at the video screen because people in front of me were sticking up their stupid Raw is Jericho signs and their stupid Paul Heyman guy signs. I felt like just ripping them in their faces because I, I it just it's so annoying when you buy a ticket to an event and you're sitting there and people are putting up signs the entire show. I have no problem with you bring the signs to the show, put it up for a couple seconds, and put it down. That's it. Two, two or three seconds. There should, pe- there should be people at the WWE events from WWE sitting along every row and monitoring how long someone puts their signs up. Because if, if, you, if someone's sticking their sign up the entire show, I didn't come here to watch the back of your sign. I came to watch wrestling. <laughs> So I just have a problem with the signs. I have no problem with people, you know, screaming and chanting and doing whatever. But enough with the goddamn signs. Keep the signs at home. If you want to, if you want to create a sign, you know, sign up for an arts and crafts, you know, class at, at your local college or whatever. Don't don't bring no sign to, to wrestling. That's just dumb. Wow, that that's uh, two rants in one show. That one was epic. I mean, I, I I'm kind of uh, of two minds about pro wrestling signs and stuff like that. I I get the whole idea of like the the energy and the feeling and uh, watching it on television, and I do see where you're coming from as well. But in regards to like cra- like cra- fans cheering and cheering and all that stuff or making up their own chants, I I get. That you want that part of your show, but sometimes, like we saw on Raw, from Raw on uh, from London, uh, mm-hmm. that was it was a crowd that was that kind of created a, a disconnect from the product to the point where, like, I like I, I get annoyed when I hear fans cheering JBL and, or Michael Cole or Jerry the King Lawler, even though uh, us in New Jersey, when I was in New Jersey for WrestleMania for, for Raw the next night, we kind of started that trend of doing shit that did, had nothing to do with the show, then we kind of made that cool. And maybe that's the uh, the advantage and the disadvantage of those post-WrestleMania Raws because they're so cool that fans see it and see it on television and go, oh, cool, I'm going to try that when we when I, when I Raw comes to my town. Um, so I kind of see both a, a for and against argument for, for fan participation in shows. I want fans to kind of like champ within the context of the match itself. But I guess if they're not, then that's a testament to either the bad booking of WWE or it's the actual characters that aren't fleshed out or the performers themselves. So uh, you can definitely see both sides of the coin in regards to that. But uh, let's just quickly get into the the, the last... Well, we've got two more segments, so we're gonna, we'll get through them quite quickly. Our weekly visit to the vault. 
Now, going along with a Survivor Series kind of feel, I was looking for a match this week that kind of like, you know, got you excited for the main event that uh, in 24 hours time. So if you guys and girls have time, head on over to YouTube and type in SmackDown versus Raw 2005 into your YouTube, YouTube search uh, uh, bar and try and look for the uh, Survivor Series 2005 match between Team SmackDown, which are entitled uh, Bobby Lashley, Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton, JBL and Batista, versus Team Raw, which was Shawn Michaels, Carlito, Chris Masters, The Big Show and Kane. Now, the story of this match, for those who don't know, is that uh, this was WWE's last real solid attempt to try and create this brand brand rivalry between Raw and SmackDown. And for the most part, I thought the storyline was actually quite good. It went over two months. Uh, both Raw, Raw and SmackDown invaded each other's shows. Um, the great storyline that kind of came out of this was that uh, Batista was injured and kept getting injured every single time SmackDown collided with Raw. Uh, which kind of created this whole idea like SmackDown's best isn't at, actually at his best. And that was a, a very good storyline leading into it. And uh, when you got Shawn Michaels cutting promos and and, uh, and Big Show and JBL and all these guys kind of like clashing and, and, and showing what they're worth, it made for a really, really uh, involved uh, storyline. I think it was the last time that we really saw some kind of interest in this this kind of feud. The match itself, I mean, like, you have to take into consideration that Eddie Guerrero passed away a few weeks before this match, and uh, that that obviously was uh, was a, hard, a definitely hard pill to swallow. And Batista actually legitimately being injured in this match, uh, or before the match. Uh, I have to say that these 10 men did put on one of, one of the best, if not the best, Survivor Series elimination matches in recent memory. Um, this match will get you ready for Sunday's main event. Uh, if not, you'll see the Sunday's main event and you think, my God, uh, WWE's completely changed from what it was like in 2005. Um, I tell you what, and I'm sure if Aaron, let's tell me if you agree with me. I, I completely miss Shawn Michaels in these, ma- in these, in these kind of matches. I mean, uh, it, at one point it was a one on three deficit, uh, nearing the end of the match. Yep. It was JBL, Rey Mysterio and, uh, Randy Orton all going up on, 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 on HBK, his timing was so good. He's selling, like selling the beat down that JBL was putting on him. He he ate a fall away slam on the floor and then fought back resiliently to bring it down to him and him and uh, Randy Orton by super kicking Rey Mysterio in midair, a la Sean, uh, a la Shelton Benjamin, coming off the ropes and hitting a switch and music like awesome stuff. I do miss HBK uh, in these kind of matches. And at the end of the night, we got we got a, a reliving of uh, Randy Orton and HBK from uh, Survivor Series 2003 because the, the final two participants for Team Bischoff and Team Austin from that match in 2003 was HBK and uh, Orton. And this kind of tied in very nicely with the fact that we had uh, uh, that the, the, the announcers were pushing the fact that uh, Randy Orton was becoming almost Mr. Survivor Series. Uh, via like yeah being his third consecutive win and whatnot and fans were super into all the eliminations they were all well timed the shocking elimination of batista early and bobby lashley early got the fans thinking anything could happen uh a lot of emphasis on kalita and kalita and uh chris masters being some of the final two some of the final competitors for team raw that was very very good uh gave gave the young guys a bit of a chance to shine and of course, after Randy Orton uh, delivered an arc here to uh, 
HBK won the match. Then we had the return of the Undertaker, and the fans knew that, that the Undertaker was returning. I think, Aaron, maybe you were able to, to to clarify things for me. Were there promos leading up to Survivor Series 2005 saying that the Undertaker was returning? There was like these little uh, like cryptic type of Undertaker promos that were kind of leading up toward it. So. And they would, yeah, they wouldn't like they wouldn't connect the dots with Orton and, and Taker, but they were they were kind of Orton was was visibly shaken by these promos. So I, I thought that was a nice touch. And of course, you know, the, the match itself was incredible. Uh, and like you said, it makes you kind of miss Shawn Michaels and, you know, his kind of underdog matches like this, where he's down, you know, three, one and has to come back. And, you know, of course he ends up not being able to, and I hope WWE follows this model tomorrow uh, for survivor series. Have, have Mark Henry, have big show, uh, have them, those kind of guys, get eliminated early. Have them be the first guys to get yes. eliminated. And, and have the spotlight on guys like Harper and Rowan and Ziggler. And, 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 you know, have those young guys shine in the main event of Survivor Series. I think this match could really um, be a model for what they should do tomorrow night. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think that's definitely what they should be doing. Um, as the Survivor Series matches have shown in the past, you know, someone could have a really great night. It's like almost like the Royal Rumble. They can have a good showing and it benefit their career down the line. And, and um, you know, Kaleido and Chris Masters, to a degree in this match, kind of got a little bit of that rub. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, he's hoping that we see something good uh, uh, on Sunday uh, for Survivor Series 2014. But that was uh, Survivor Series 2005, Team SmackDown versus Team Raw. You can find it on YouTube, guys and girls, so head over there and check it out. Now, Aaron, your uh, Spotlight Weekly Question. Uh, what is it this week? Well, WWE.com uh, posted an article of the 100 matches to see before you die the criteria for this list was that it has to be on the WWE network. Um, and it has to, uh, I think it was something along those lines. So some of the stuff that's not on the network wasn't involved in this, in this list, but that's, but that's not that big of a deal because almost everything's on the network, whether it's AWA or, or WCW or whatever. So I wanted to pose a question to you, Joel, which match do you think they had at number one? And for the people listening, Joel has not seen the list. So he's, He's just no. guessing uh, freely right here. Uh, oh, hundred matches. Uh, I'd I'd go. Oh God, how can you summarize it? I would go Austin versus Team Rock for WrestleMania seventeen. Wow, I'm probably um, wrong. No, <laughs> no, that's that's incorrect. Um, the number one match <laughs> on their list was The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 25. Uh, really? I mean, like, yep. uh, everyone says that's the most incredible match they've ever seen. Uh, it's it's so not for me. Like, there's so many other great matches that are on the WWE Network, I'm sure. Uh, I, 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 like, I can't say that I don't like the match. I love the match, but I've never ever held it in that highest regard that everyone else has. It's just me. I, I just it's some great moments. Maybe I need to rewatch it again for a while because like, I haven't watched it in a while. Maybe I'll see what everyone's talking about. I personally like their second match better than the first mm. match. I like the yeah. I really like the story that they told in that match, but 
And it's, uh, that's a great thing about wrestling fans. Everyone's got their own opinion about it. But uh, could you give us the, the top five? Yeah, that's what I was planning on doing. Let's, uh, number okay, five cool. was um, Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc 1997 uh, for the yes. Cruiserweight title and the mask uh, was on the line as well. Have you seen that match, Aaron? I have, yeah. I, I recently watched the okay. top five just so I can kind of have a, a scope on oh, like, what the top five is. Um, number you know four was Rick, yeah, Rick Flair versus uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat at Clash of Champions. Uh, six, two out of three fall match for the uh, NWA uh, title. That match, that is, match incredible. is my That match is my favorite match of all time and has been for many, many years. That is a 55-minute masterpiece of a match that you can watch anytime and it's not like today's uh wrestling where you're like oh man this match is going forever my god 55 minutes my god how long have we been sitting here for you watch that match and tumble fly by you've got uh terry funk and you've got jim ross on commentary just killing it oh yes that's match should be number one see, see now you're bringing up these matches i'm thinking why is undertaker and Shawn michaels number one that's such a politicalized uh choice but continue with your list uh, number three, Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania three for the IC title. Of course, that's a that's a famous match that many uh, would agree with. Number two, uh, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania thirteen submission yes, match. And as I said before, uh, Taker and, and Sean at, at, at number one. I, you know, like you said, it's it's kind of a politically correct list where WWE wants to kind of showcase their guys more than you know, of course, the WCW guys or whatever. But one thing that really caught my eye with this list, and this was really incredible. Number 95 was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. 95! I was I was shocked to see that. Like, a couple of matches before that, at 92, you have Team Hell No and, and Randy Orton versus The Shield on SmackDown. I mean, you're telling me that I have to watch that match before <laughs> Andre and Hogan at WrestleMania 3? I guess what's the clarification that the matches or like, like, or the actual, is it the in-ring stuff or is it the actual, just the aura of the match itself? I guess that, like you have to kind of weigh that up because like Hogan and Andre is a horrible, match. it was a horrible match in front of a fan, fan base that absolutely love, love the characters and going into it. The match between the, I know the match they're talking about on SmackDown. It was a great match. I, the, I, again, yes, it's a bit positive that a, a TV match, like that on SmackDown was on the uh, top 100 list. But I think, again, it's a very politicized kind of list. But uh, I'm guessing your, your question for the fans is to find up their own list, or what, what was your question oh, for the spotlight? Well, my question for the fans really was, what's the, the, the top match that anyone should see before they die? A wrestling fan, before they die, get, I want to hear the, the one match that you think people should go and see before they die. That's That's the question I'm posing to the fans. So if you want to just drop uh, drop your uh, replies to that question, just uh, you can tweet us uh, directly. You can tweet me at uh, at Wrestling R Break. You can uh, that's capital W, capital R, capital B, and uh, you can uh, catch Aaron at at PWP underscore Aaron. I'm pretty sure that's nope, that's other correct. Way, other way around. Other way around. Uh, other way around. So at Aaron underscore PWP at Aaron underscore exactly. PWP. Yeah, and just uh, send your replies there, and it'd be great to hear what you guys think is the should be the number one match that some uh, wrestling fans should see before they die. 
Well, that's all we have time for tonight. Thank you so much for listening, wherever you may be out there in Radio Wrestling Land. And thank you, Aaron, so much, as always, for your insightful perspective on the last seven days. Well, thank you for having me. We'll uh, see you next week. Yeah, we'll definitely see you next week. And if you like our points of view, you'll definitely like our articles. Uh, Me and Aaron produce at least four, sometimes five articles a week on ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com on a variety of topics that can be easily accessed on our website. So not only that, but me and Aaron have the privilege of to help edit and produce content from a massive writing team that's always writing, uh, tuning out like topical WWE, TNA, and indie discussion points for you, the wrestling fan, and that's exclusively on ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com. And if you want to reach me or Aaron and give us some feedback on the show, it is so easy. Just uh, tweet us at WrestlingRBreak, and you can tweet uh, Aaron at Aaron underscore PWP, and tell us what you think of the show. Like, any good feedback, any feedback's good feedback as far as I'm concerned. At the, at the same time, might as well follow uh, Pro Wrestling Powerhouse as well. So at team underscore PWP, and you can get all the latest from us, as well as the writing team, as well as all the major news that's coming out of the world of pro wrestling. So once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next pro, uh, Wrestling's Week That Was.